the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and welcome to The Authority at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on a Wednesday. It's the 21st morning of the 7th month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Strangely enough, it's a Wednesday, but it's a Kersenau day. How about that? Yeah, special treat for you. Peter Kersenau was unable to join us yesterday for his normal Tuesday Kersenau hit, so it's a Kersenau Wednesday coming up in about an hour. Also, another special treat <clears throat> coming up at the bottom of this hour. We're going to check in with uh, Bill O, as in Bill O'Reilly. He's doing a kind of a national tour of sorts, a speaking tour with former President Trump, talking about um, his presidency and mostly the history of Donald Trump, you know, pre-political and presidential Trump, and uh, virtually everything that led him to where he is and to what made him what he is. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Bill O'Reilly has known Donald Trump for some 30 years, so he's in a unique position to be able to ask him and illicit responses that probably the rest of us could not get out of him. So really looking forward to talking to Bill O'Reilly about Donald Trump, what we know historically, and what his prediction is for Donald Trump in 2024, if he is going to run again for president. So Bill O'Reilly at uh, 935, then Peter Kersenow at 1010. So a couple of great guests. That means we'll have plenty of time for your phone calls at 216-901-0945 or 888 888- 281-1110. Either one of those numbers will get you here. And I've got a couple of important questions I'd like you to ponder before you dial. I'll get to those in a second. But the first thing we need to do, before we do that, and before we uh, get to our top stories of the day, let's rise. Let's begin our program with the Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a patriot, please put your hand over your heart. Face your flag if you have one. If you are a demon rat, leftist, well, we don't expect you to do any of those things. We expect you to join the U.S. Women's Olympic soccer team 
in kneeling during our national anthem and or our Pledge of Allegiance and then being a loser for the rest of the day. Uh, I'll get to that story, too. But first, the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Did you know that? Did you hear about that? The U.S. Women's Olympic soccer team lost for the first time in, what did it say in the article, 44, I think, uh, international matches. They lost for the first time in 44 international matches. They lost to Sweden badly, 3 to nothing. Now, I will say this. I love America, and I will root for American athletes in all international competitions. But I found myself getting word, hearing the news of the U.S. women's Olympic soccer team losing, and the first thing I thought in my head was, Can you dig it? (laughs) Because... I only root for American athletes. And the U.S. women's soccer team is not a team of American athletes. They're a team of American uh, flag and anthem kneelers, race baiters. They're a team of um, uh, American cop haters. And I'll be honest with you, I hope they lose every game they play. They have far too much power, far too much influence over people. When I say power, I mean influence. Um, I'm disgusted when I see them on television commercials. The only one that I really recognize is the worst offender of them all, Megan Rapinoe. Is it wrong to root against America in an international competition if the players wearing the American uniform hate the country that they represent? Is it wrong? I kind of think it, it, you know, it should be. Or I'm, I'm sorry, I kind of think we should be allowed to do that. If we're pro-America, we're anti-America haters. And if the American haters are Americans, so be it. Right? I hope they lose every game they, they play. I do. It makes me sick to my stomach to think that I have to cheer for them. I'll give you another example. Gwen Berry, the U.S. Olympic hammer thrower, the one who pouted and, and embarrassed herself and turned her back on the flag during her uh, bronze medal winning performance at the U.S. Olympic trials, she is the one who proclaimed that the United States is still a racist nation and then that black people aren't free and all this other nonsense, and that's why she turned her back on the flag. You think I'm going to root for her in the Olympics? If, if Gwen Berry is one of the two finalists going for the gold medal against some hammer thrower from Canada or Sweden or, or, or France or anywhere else for that matter, I'm going to be rooting for the other one. You think I want her on the medal stand? Burning our flag? Think I want her on the metal stand? Turning her back while our anthem is played? Hell with them. That's how I feel about it. U.S. women's Olympic team lost. Good. Here we go, Sweden. Here we go. I literally felt like doing that. In fact, I wrote it that way on my Facebook page. The heck with them. All right, having said all of that, let's get into the real news of the day. Turns out we were wrong. Who's we? All of us who thought that our own medical freedom was ours, 
perhaps phrased a little bit less clumsily, we were wrong if we thought we have medical freedom. Turns out, we don't. Turns out we can be ordered by uh, state entities to get vaccinated against our will if we wish to participate in things that are hosted by the state. And that includes universities. That includes colleges. We talked about this in some depth with Jack Windsor yesterday. But after that conversation, it was yesterday afternoon, we got this. A federal court has supported, effectively green-lighting, the University of Indiana's mandate that students must be vaccinated against COVID-19 in order to attend classes in person and participate in campus life. Judge Damon R. Lighty, a Trump, and I, hope, I don't know if it's pronounced Lighty or maybe it's Lighty, a Trump appointee to the district court in the Northern District of Indiana denied an injunction sought by several students who object to the vaccine mandate. In a thorough 101-page ruling, the Trump appointee, I, I, can't, I can't say that often enough. You know, as proud as I was of President Trump for doing such a great job of filling so many court vacancies uh, during his four years, for some it was the crowning achievement of his presidency. And Mitch McConnell just kind of kept his nose to the grindstone and kept bringing these names up and getting them confirmed in the U.S. Senate. You know, it's a great thing, but I've got to tell you, some of the choices I've been more than just a little disappointed with, including at least two of the three on the Supreme Court. But I don't want to digress too far from the story, but this is a Trump appointee who, in a thorough 101-page ruling, acknowledged that the university, a public institution receiving hundreds of millions of dollars in government funding, that means taxes, and whose board of trustees is established by state law as a public institution. Ergo, it's legally deemed an arm of the state whose actions must conform to constitutional limits, including those imposed by the 14th Amendment. The core questions, Andrew McCarthy is writing about this for National Review. The core question is whether there's a federal right to bodily integrity, otherwise known as medical privacy or medical freedom. That includes refusing to submit to vaccination. And if so, what level of scrutiny must a state satisfy in order to impose a vaccination requirement despite this right? The court concluded there is a substantive due process right to refuse. Nevertheless, while the right is important, it's not fundamental. That's a crucial distinction, according to McCarthy. Fundamental rights may be infringed only if the state can satisfy strict scrutiny analysis a demanding test that calls for the state to show that it has a compelling interest in regulating and that the mandate it has ordered is the least restrictive alternative capable of vindicating that interest. By contrast, rights not deemed fundamental are assessed under the uh, much more forgiving rational basis review, in which the state simply has to show that it has a legitimate interest in regulating and that its mandate is rationally related to that legitimate objective. Lady or, or Lighty, or however you say his name, conceded that a number of prominent jurists, including Supreme Court Justices Sam Alito and Neil Gorsuch, <coughs> excuse me, that uh, Alito and Gorsuch, Gorsuch have suggested that too much weight has been given 
to Jacobson versus Massachusetts, a 1905 decision which upheld a smallpox vaccine mandate. Too much uh, weight has been given to it and cautioned it should not be considered uh, the last word on state power to infringe on individual rights. Um, Nevertheless, the judge distinguished um, and decided that free exercise is unquestionably a fundamental right and therefore... There's, I don't want to get into the minutiae of the thing, and, and, and uh, McCarthy seems to do that. The bottom line is uh, the students who filed the lawsuit to try to stop or, uh, the, the uh, University of Indiana from mandating this, uh, this uh, vaccination, they are going to appeal. It's a high bar to obtain reversal of the denial of a preliminary injunction. However, the students would have to show they are ultimately likely to succeed on the merits of the question, that they will sustain irreparable harm in the absence of an injunction, and that the balance between the public interest and the harms they allege weigh in their favor, which seems unlikely. So bottom line, I don't want to get again into all of the legal terminology. McCarthy and others are suggesting that this is going to be the final word. It shouldn't be, according to uh, several other Supreme Court decisions, but it's going to be the final word. We're going to treat COVID-19 like smallpox. That's, that's bottom line here. We're going to treat COVID-19 and the Delta variant as if it was as lethal as smallpox. Never mind the fact that the Delta variant is no more lethal, deadly, than the original COVID-19 pandemic virus was which means 99.5% plus of the people who are infected with it recover from it. And those who don't, the small, tiny percentage who don't, have major, major comorbidities, especially if they are in an older age group over 70 years of age. And that's, that's the reality of it. The science says that young people, including those of college age, and that's who we're talking about here, and all the way going down into the uh, high school, middle school, and elementary school grade levels, are extremely, at extremely low risks to A, become infected, B, to spread the infection to students, C, to spread the infection or the virus to adults. And yet this is what they are going to do. So this federal judge, a Trump appointee, basically says these students do not have a right. Yesterday we told the story, or Jack Windsor told the story, of two would-be students at Ohio Wesleyan University who have had their entire college careers interrupted now because they refuse to take this vaccine and they're not allowed on campus until they submit. I told you yesterday also of the story of Case Western Reserve, which told its student body back in the spring they would not be mandated to have vaccines to come to campus in the fall. So everybody went about their business, prepared to come back to campus. Some of them signed apartment leases, got their class schedules ready, only to find out just last week we changed our mind. If you don't have a vaccine by July 23rd, you're not allowed to come to campus. Cleveland State is doing the same thing. I received another letter after yesterday's show from a parent of a student at Denison University, which said the same exact thing. If you plan to return to Denison University, today is the final day to submit your COVID-19 vaccine information to the website. If you have submitted your information and are receiving this message, yada, 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 uh, it will be marked compliant. If, if it is not marked compliant, then click on messages to view any issues with your verification. After today, the Wellness Center will report you as non-compliant, and the university will begin disenrolling students. They're kicking them out who are not compliant with the vaccine requirements. If you have not completed your full series of vaccine doses, then you should respond to this email with your plans. This email must include the dates that you will receive your doses. The information must be submitted by the end of the day. Sincerely, Denison University Wellness Center. So you have people 
and you have students who are being harmed by these extraordinarily unconstitutional overreaches by universities, and now they've been given uh, the authority to do so by federal judges. you got state actors infringing upon the personal medical privacy rights of, of citizens and students, and now it's being supported by a radical federal judge ruling. You have real students who are stuck now. The woman who sent me this said, My daughter is a sophomore at Denison with a process of being and is in the process of being disenrolled. It's not too late for my daughter, a chemistry major receiving twenty four thousand dollars a year of academic scholarships to transfer. I'm sorry, not it's not too late. I beg your pardon, I read that wrong. It is too late for my daughter to transfer. So what do we do? We've hired a lawyer, even though we don't really have money. To do so, it's terrible that uh, because of our Ohio legislature cannot get off of their blank and protect our kids that have to either comply or lose everything standing up for their rights. Is there anything we can do? I don't know what we can do. I just, I'm, I'm blown away by the fact that a Trump appointee would side with the unconstitutional mandate that says you must take an experimental, non-approved uh, drug cocktail for a disease and a virus that you do not have. You're a healthy person, and we get to force you to be treated like you are a sick person. Uh, it, it's it's mind-blowing. 216-901-0945, We'll be back. Okay, it's 927 as we continue. You know, if everything that I just said and talked about, about medical freedom and about the right to make our own minds up about what we put into our body, if I had typed all of that rather than set it on the open airwaves, chances are very good you would never have been able to read it. Chances are very good if I had put that on my Facebook page or on any number of other social media pages It would have been flagged, deleted, and I would have had my account either suspended or banned because that's what the federal government under Joe Biden is doing. This is what they've promised us. This is what Jen Psaki warned us of. Even the the Surgeon General basically said the same thing, that that would be called misinformation, the idea that we have medical freedom and we shouldn't have to take these, uh, uh, these vaccines because of the fear that other people have. They would call that misinformation or disinformation, depending on the day they go back and forth. Um, And they would flag it so that you couldn't even see it to make up your own mind. Meanwhile, they continue to push um, non-scientific information out there and pretending that it is scientific. That's misinformation. I'm talking about the, the notion which is absolutely not been proven in science in any way, shape, or form, that masking should be required for people who are vaccinated or unvaccinated to stop the spread of the virus. It doesn't. It's never been proven to do that. Yet they are telling us that we're following science, and if you tw- uh, type, tweet, post, share, uh, retweet, or whatever, whatever, any of those things that we deem to be misinformation, we will lock you down. 
And the federal government says they will participate in this with uh, the uh, big tech oligarchs. That's this is this is real time Orwellian stuff. If they can control what we say, they can control what we write. Then that means they can con- control what we hear and that we read. And if they remove those things, then they control what we think. Quite literally. This is not an exaggeration. It's not being melodramatic. This is being real. This is real talk. This is what the federal government is doing right now, all using this pandemic and using the fear that people have. They're afraid to go outside. I've got some examples I'll share with you coming up, but uh, people are afraid to go outside using that against us and taking our liberties away as a result. All right, let me take a time out here for the bottom of the hour news. We'll come back and talk to Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly still doing his thing, and he's on a tour now with President Trump. I'll let him tell you all about that coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 935, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer, as promised. Don't forget, Peter Kersenow, U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, will be joining me at 1010 for a Kersenow Day today. We're joined now by a guy whose voice you will recognize immediately and whose name you recognize even faster, one of the... Um, uh, most popular news commentators in the world, and certainly one of the most successful news commentators in the history of cable television, Bill O'Reilly, author of many, many, many best-selling killing books in his series. We last spoke with him in May, talking about killing the mob, which is killing it on the bestseller charts. Bill, good to have you back on the program here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me in. How are you doing, Bob? I'm doing great. Not as good as your book, though. Congratulations. I mean, yeah, just another a phenomenon now. Yeah. Um, so we're real pleased, obviously, uh, you know, when you're in the marketplace. Now, for uh, almost three months, and you're still in the top three, and nine weeks at number one. Um, and there's a reason. I mean, Killing the Mob is a fun summer read, and you'll learn a lot about your country and about how names that you know really interacted with organized crime because nobody knows that. So uh, anyway, it's nice of you to mention it. Uh, I appreciate it. What's uh, what's next in the Killing series? Do you have an idea yet? Yeah, we, we're going to write a book called Killing the Killers, which is pretty much done already. Um, the release date, I don't know yet. We thought we might be able to get it out in November, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, Killing the Killers is a secret war on terrorism. And uh, this is the best reporting that I have ever done in my life wow. because this whole book is new. You don't know any of this. And um, we put you in the car when Soleimani gets a Hellfire missile in the back window. You're sitting next to him. Yeah. And it's an amazing, I got all of this uh, classified information. Um, it is an amazing book. So that'll be out, um, you know, fairly soon. We're going to let Mob run um, up until Christmas. And... Um, we know that people who read the Killing books will like them, as it is the most successful nonfiction book series of all time. I want to, uh, you know, move on to President Trump and talk about a few other things with you. But I'm fascinated by this series. So, just one last question on it: How do you decide where to go next? How do you decide who to kill next? And of course, I mean, who to focus your books on? Well, I'm I'm the architect of the whole thing, and I'm not bragging because you know, once I left Fox News, I basically formed three corporations. And I think your listeners will be interested in this. Because I had, I had worked for massive corporations my whole life, and I had had enough. 
Um, so I said, look, I'm going to form my own news agency, I'm going to form my own publishing outfit, and I'm going to do radio. Uh, so we have 300 affiliates across the country now for the O'Reilly Update, and uh, the Killing Book series started when I was at Fox. Um, but I select topics that I believe regular folks will be interested in. So we all think back to high school and how boring our history teachers were, when we're collapsing <laughs> at the desk, our, our foreheads are bouncing off the uh, uh, floor, and it's just, and, and that stays with people. But I think I've been able to, um, through um, discipline and my writing style, uh, make it fun. And if it's fun, people want to learn. Almost everybody wants to learn. And you learn about your country. If you read all, all ten killing books, um, starting with uh, Killing Lincoln, the first one, if you read all ten, you'll know what happened in the United States. You'll know everything that happened, all the important stuff. And um, so that was my goal. I'm a former high school history teacher. I don't know whether you know that. I do. Um, and I honed my uh, writing style in the classroom because I had to keep the urchins' chins off the uh, off the floor. <laughs> and I made it all personal. I made history all personal. That's what I do in the books. Well, uh, congratulations. It's really an amazing thing. I enjoy reading them. And, yeah, last time we spoke in May, you told me about your background as a high school history teacher. So I, I think this stuff is fascinating. And it's a, it's a great way to teach history, like you said, without uh, the boredom and the minutia of, um, you know, of the classroom. So uh, let's move on to more, more current uh, uh, items. I saw you on Newsmax, and you're talking about this kind of tour. Tell us more about this kind of history tour that you're doing uh, with with former President Trump. It's a fa- it's a fantastic idea. Everybody wants to know what's in his future. Uh, obviously, referring to 2024, but you're doing history with President Trump. Tell us about that. Right. So two weeks ago today, I went to New Jersey and interviewed uh, the 45th president, uh, and we put it on BillOReilly.com, where it is. If you missed it, you can go there and look at it. And the interview was done in the style that I'm going to bring to the Trump-O'Reilly history tour. Now, we booked four shows just to see how they go. Fort Lauderdale on uh, December 11th, Orlando, Florida the 12th, and then the next weekend, the 18th in Houston and the 19th in Dallas, Texas. And in those shows, it's going to be me and the president on the stage, and I'm going to be asking him things like, how did you get that vaccine so fast? I want to walk through it. Who did you negotiate with? What was the deal? How much money did the federal government pay? What was the pushback? Did anybody uh, do anything untoward? Were there any heroes in it? That kind of thing. Because that has not been reported. All the reportage on Donald Trump for four years was we either hate him or we like him. There was nothing factual coming out of that White House. And I'm going to get into Putin, Xi. I'm going to get into um, how Trump dealt with the European leaders who didn't like him why he thinks that major U.S. corporations wanted to see him destroyed. We're talking Disney, AT&T, all of that, that nobody has heard. Not going to be a rally, not going to be the re-litigation of the election, not going to be that. It's going to be, all right, this happened, how did it happen, what were you doing, and that's the show. So I think anybody interested in their country even people who don't like Donald Trump, um, you're going to see him in a totally different way. And if you don't believe me, just look at that interview I did with him two weeks ago. That'll prove it. 
We're talking with uh, Bill O'Reilly. You hear the O'Reilly update uh, right here on AM 1420, The Answer, among 300 affiliates, as he just pointed out. There's, there's one thing that you just said, that one line in what you just said that jumped out at me, and you said, there was nothing factual that was coming out of that White House. I have to ask what that means. Do you mean that the president wasn't being truthful, or his chief of staff, his press secretaries, his cabinet? What do you mean when you say there was nothing factual coming out of that White House? Reporting does not rely on a vested interest. So President Trump and his administration had a vested interest in putting him in a favorable light. That's not what reporting is. All right? Reporting is not hating someone and trying to destroy him, which is what the corporate media did. Mm -hmm. Reporting is trying to get facts and truth about what the deuce happened. The vaccine rollout in America was a miracle, in my opinion. And it's why our country doesn't have nearly the problems that most other countries in the world have, because they could not get a vaccine. So how did he do it? Do you, did you see any reporting on that, Bob? The most important story in not, our No, in not, our not the inner workings of it, not how it was done. We just were how told it that done. it was an well, unprecedented partnership is. between the public yeah. and the private sector. So all you got was the people who love Trump saying, oh, look, he's the greatest guy, look what he did. And the people who hate him go, oh, no, uh, you know, and trying to, trying to play it down. See, I don't play that game. I never, I've never done it. I wrote a book, The United States of Trump, which basically says how he won the election. It's not a pro or anti-Trump book. It's a here's how he did it. And that's what I'm going to do on the Trump O'Reilly history tour. And by the way, Donald Trump always gets full billing, uh, first billing. He's the star. I'm just along. I'm kind of like the driver in the movie Driving Miss Daisy. That's me. I'm the driver. But I'm going to drive that show into a fact-based presentation. Let let me ask you this though, Bill. You um, you've known Donald Trump for what thirty, forty years? Yeah, close to. I'd say thirty five now. All right. So take your your press derby hat off. You know the old fashioned derby hat that uh, reporters wore with the word press on it. Take it off for a moment. Stop being a reporter for a second. After knowing him for thirty five years, do you like the man? Yes, I like him. Um, I had dinner with him after the interview two weeks ago. Just he and I. I don't. I'm not a guy who who bothers him. I don't never call him. Um, you know, he calls me when he wants to chat. That's fine. He's the president. Before he was a president, I had a different relation. We much more casual. We went to some games. Uh, uh, he's a big sports guy, so am I, um, and, and all that. But now um, he is at a different level. Now, I don't – he knows that I don't think everything he does is great. And I've told him that. When he asks my opinion, I tell him the truth, Bob. And sometimes he doesn't like to hear the truth. But it's my job as somebody who's responsible that if somebody asks me a question, I give them an honest answer. But he's a very entertaining guy. Oh, yeah. So in our in our dinner, and I had the best lobster bisque I've ever had in my life at his <laughs> golf club in New Jersey. It was unbelievable. So that was a plus. But in the, in the dinner, the banter between him and me um because we've known each other for so long we know we have hundreds of people in common um was very entertaining 
and he, he has never misled me, ever. If I ask him a question, particularly you know off the record, but even on the record, if you Google my interviews with Donald Trump, you see that. But you know, if I say, well, you know, what about this? What, how did that go down? What, and he'll tell me the truth. And that's really all I require of uh, someone in my presence. Just tell me the truth. When you do these tour dates, we're talking to Bill O'Reilly. He's got a tour of four dates so far locked in to see how it goes, where they're going to talk its history with Donald Trump, the history tour. Um, You you gave me a kind of a a good-sized list of questions you're going to ask him or topics you're going to cover. Does he know in advance? Will you tell him, this is what I'm going to ask you, so prepare for it? Or is he just ready for uh, whatever? I'm not not going to give him the questions because it's all about the follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. In any interview... The interview subject knows pretty much where you're going to go. But the follow-ups is what he doesn't know. And I'll, I never give my questions away, but I say, I'll tell him backstage, because each show will be different. I'll say, look, here's where we're going to go tonight. So that's fair, because it's an exposition, and you want him to be thinking about it. And because if you think about it, you can summon up more facts. Um, so I will do that, and uh, the show will be 45 minutes, me and him in the beginning, and then we'll take a break, and then we'll come back with a Q&A from the folks. Do you expect, Bill, that he'll be 100% transparent and honest with you? For example, if you ask him, him, say, hey, Mr. President, tell me exactly what was said on that phone call with the Ukrainian president. Do you think he'll tell you? But I wouldn't ask a question like that. Okay. Because... Because but that's what we want to know. There was an impeachment over that. Those are the kind of things the folks, you, as you call them, want yeah, to know. Yeah, you might want to know it, but you're not going to get it. Okay. So, you know, I'm not going to waste anybody's time by asking a question that I don't have a frame of reference on. So I don't know what the deuce happened in that phone call. I don't know. So if I ask him that, he can say whatever he wants to say. That's true. And I can't challenge. So I'm going to ask him more questions like, um, when you were in that situation and you talked to the Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, what did he say to you? Did he say that you did anything wrong? Therefore, if he, if he says no, then Barr is going to know that 10 minutes after the, uh, sure. the uh, show is completed. You see what I mean? Yeah, gotcha. So I, I have to keep the questioning in the realm where not only Donald Trump, but anybody I interview knows that they're, I'm building a record. And Donald Trump, he knows me. I mean, he, he he's, I've done, what, scores of interviews with him over the years. And he knows that I'm never going to be in the tank, and I'm, but I'm, and I'm not going to ask him a question where he can, you know, do 15 minutes. Um, you know, that was, my, that was why the interviews that I did with Barack Obama were so good. Because Barack Obama can do 12 minutes on your socks. Oh, no doubt. You know, you've got you've to... And yes, preferred to. <laughs> right. Well, and say, how did this happen? How did that happen? Putin speak English? What do you, when he called, how many times did he call you? Did you speak to him on the phone? Do you like him? Why do you like him? That kind of stuff. You know, that's what people will take away. And I can guarantee you, Bob, nobody's ever heard this. I can also guarantee you, in December, in northern Ohio, you want to be in Florida or Texas. Okay? You... You, it's chilly where you are. So this would be a nice weekend for anybody uh, 
in the Cleveland area, good time. That's a good play, a good time to go down and, and visit the, in the sunshine. Sure. I'm with you. Back for Christmas. I, nice I, Christmas is nice. I, I know you're doing history on this, and you're not going to push forward. But I'm just going to ask you myself. I I had the pleasure of interviewing the president last month when he came to town. When he came to uh, his first rally back of his post presidency mm-hmm. here in Northeast Ohio. And I asked him about 2024, and, you know, he was somewhat coy because, you know, we talked about whether or not his best place would be the power behind the throne occupied by Ron DeSantis or if he wants to be in that throne again. He was somewhat coy, but he said, I think you're going to be very happy. Most I talked to Mark Meadows last week also. He thinks that he's all in for 2024. Are you going to get that out of him, or what's your sense of I, I, He already told me he wants to run. Wants to run. So, yeah, but, you know, he doesn't want a primary. That's the problem. And it's a very fascinating outlook. So he does want to run again because he believes he can solve the problems that the Biden administration is uh, creating. But can he run again? Yeah, he certainly can. He's got the money. Um, he's physically okay at this point. How would a primary change. go? How would a primary well, go that's the this problem. time around? See? Yeah. See, the Republican Party doesn't want Ron DeSantis, Christy Nome, other people who are going to run for president. Tim Scott, Greg Abbott. Yeah, whoever it may be. All right? They don't want what happened the last time around where Trump was on a stage and he destroyed all his Republican opposition. Little Marco, Lion Ted, Mm -hmm. uh, Jeb Bush is boring. That would be a disaster. So there are negotiations going on. It's early, but I'll just give you one, you and your audience. Okay. So Ron DeSantis is the front runner, the governor of Florida. All right, There isn't a Republican in the country that doesn't like him. So he has got an enormous uh, amount of goodwill in the GOP. If he and Trump primary each other, that will hurt the party. Everybody knows that. So it looks to me like there's some discussions about a deal, a Trump-DeSantis ticket. Bingo. And then DeSantis would say, all right, I'll take it because he's only going to be there four years and then I can walk into the nomination. So that's the kind of stuff that's going on, but it's ill-defined. Nobody knows how that's going to shake down, but it is a complicated process. It's going to be fascinating watching and listening to the Q&A and the, uh, the banter between the two of you. You've been interviewing them for so long, but this is a whole unique thing, this history tour. Bill, I wish you the very best of luck with the tour. I wish you most more congratulations on uh, Killing the Mob. Thanks so much for coming on, and keep up the great work. Anytime, Bob. Thanks for having me. All right. appreciate that. All right, 950, be careful when you say anytime. We'll call on you all the time. <laughs> uh, you got to watch what you, what you say there. Uh, 953, right back after this. Okay, 9.57, excuse me, Uh, good conversation with Bill O'Reilly. Coming up at about 10.10, in about maybe 10.05, 10.07, somewhere in that neighborhood, we're going to talk to Peter Kirstenau about a host of issues. So I just want to set the table before that interview comes up, because what we are going to be discussing is kind of a variation of CRT, critical race theory, which, of course, is the extraordinarily divisive 
uh, curricula that is uh, being forced upon students all across this country. It's why we keep telling you, if you are concerned about your kids or the kids in your local schools and about whether or not they're going to be indoctrinated with critical race theory, run for school board seats. You have to have your 150 signatures uh, on a petition in for your candidacy by August 4th. So you've got 14 days. You've got 14 days to get this done. There are at least two, sometimes three and four seats available in every single school school board in all 88 of Ohio's counties in odd-numbered years, of which this is one. It's so important to stop CRT. Now, why are we talking about it with Peter Kirsten now? Because of the Biden administration. This story is literally nude this morning. The Biden administration, through the Department of Education, has partnered with the Abolitionist Teaching Network to promote critical race theory, even though they don't use those terms, in America's public schools. The Abolitionist Teaching Network has published something called the Guide for Racial Justice and Abolitionist Social and Emotional Learning. That's a big mouthful, but that's the name of its handbook, which is intended to help schools teach social justice and teach little white kids that they are straight up evil. And this is not just something that Black Lives Matter is promoting, or else it's not even a new story. This isn't something that uh, the the um, you know uh, Communist uh, Revolutionary Party in the United States or the Revcom Revolutionary Communist Party of the United States is promoting, or it's not a story. This is something that the Biden administration is now partnering with and promoting through the Federal Department of Education. Abolitionist teachers have made it their mission in their own uh, handbook to teach young white kids to not be white, to disrupt their whiteness and other forms of their oppression. Not making this up. I played for you a couple of days ago a full 17, 18-minute video from Christopher Rufo defining and explaining what critical race theory is and how it's being used to disrupt this country, to divide it and destroy it in true Marxist fashion. This is a perfect example of it being used. And again, not by some radical activist group like BLM or Antifa. This is being used by the Biden administration. And that's what Curse and I and I will talk about coming up after the top of the hour news. 216 901 888 281 1110. Right back on AM 1420, the end.